Um, we went with uh, two groups, really, Leadership Resources uh, International, which is out of Palos Heights. Been to Nepal a couple times with them before, and also with First Love International. Uh, first week, Avon and I were with um, uh, Leadership Resources and training pastors. Uh, Avon was training the wives there in Nepal. And the second week, we split up. I did another training session with uh, pastors in East Nepal, and Avon was with uh, Bob Clinton and ran around and saw the children's homes and the works that were taking place, saw a Nepali wedding as well. And so we kind of split up for then. We, we came back together then for our trip back home. I want to tell you a little about little Leadership Resources. Their focus is pastoral training worldwide. In fact, their mission statement is that their aim is launching pastoral training movements worldwide. It's kind of that's, that's their aim. They're in a, a bunch of countries, maybe about 12 different countries. Uh, strategy is simple. Dig deep in the Word with a few and uh, encourage them to multiply um, the word of what they what they learn. So through contacts that they have through countries that pick strategic leaders, about 12 to 20 pastors they meet with, and um, then they meet with them twice a year for four years, uh, just digging into them the, the scriptures, and then having them press on to their area of influence. So those 12 train, maybe 12 each, and so all of a sudden you're reaching about 150 pastors who need training. Um, Desperately, and the hope is then that those pastors who train these pastors in the second generation would have a third generation. And some of that takes place, and it's very encouraging when it, it does so. And they call their strategy TNT, Training National Trainers. So you train the trainers who train the trainers. Second Timothy 2, 2, it's biblical. Yeah, it works very well. I have a, a photo of the pastors that we met with. Um, these were in the east, so these are pastors and their wives. Uh, you can see Yvonne and I over here. We are looking good. And uh, the rest of them uh, were there. Craig Parrow is there in the red. He's been here at Rock Valley Bible Church before. He's the president of Leadership Resources. And then if you look kind of uh, two over and then one down, uh, that's Alan Jin. He's going to be preaching here, in fact, in two weeks. He's going to be here in Chicago. And I just pleaded, hey, could you come and preach at our church? He's going to be here as well. He's a great, great man, Chinese pastor of... Uh, Chinese American Church in Sacramento for 30 years, and now he's going to spend the rest of his life just training overseas pastors, doing a, a fabulous job. And the next slide is the pastors in the East that just uh, were there. Their wives will come. The next session will be the eighth session, then they'll graduate. Um, I've been with these folks. This is my third time now, and uh, Alan is, is over here, and I'm, I'm way over there, uh, back to the right. That's right, good. Uh, great group of men. Are, are doing doing good things. The curriculum of LRI is very simple. It's transferable. It basically focuses on reading comprehension. Read the Bible so you understand it, and then preach the Bible so the people understand it. I mean, that's really what the idea is. In other words, preach your preach the word. Don't preach your own ideas. Uh, that may sound hey, typical. That's what everyone does, but it's radical. It's revolutionary for many um, many pastors worldwide who have no theological training. Um, in fact, most of the guys that these will do second generation with have zero theological training because uh, the church has grown so fast. I'll, I'll get into that in a little bit. Um, but just to tell them that you, you study the Word and you find out what God's saying and you catch God's heart and then speak that and preach that. That's revolutionary. You, you hear back from these men and you hear back from the men that they are training. Um, they say... 
uh, that's amazing. He said, I used to preach my own ideas, but now I preach God's idea. Uh, because what they do in churches when you're not trained is you just kind of speak whatever you think is best to speak rather than taking a text, reading, expounding it, explaining it. And it causes great growth then in the, the church. One of the effects is it instills confidence in many of the church leaders. They come to understand that, oh, they simply need to, to read and understand the Bible and then just say what the Bible says. And we're like, yes, that's all you need to do. And as a result, then the church just flourishes. It's really a beautiful, a beautiful thing. I love the curriculum because it helps to unleash God's Word in foreign lands. We're not teaching them specific theology or doctrines, though those things flesh out, but more teaching them a methodology, just simple Take the Bible, open it, read it, and extend it. Um, and I love the curriculum because it's my own philosophy of ministry here at Rock Valley Bible Church. I stand here week in, week out, just taking a text of Scripture. We normally go to one place and normally read whatever. Uh, three verses, five verses, a whole chapter. But we just dig into that verse. We just dig into that section and we work it. We work it so that we understand it. So that you, you go out saying, yes, I understand God better. I understand His Word better. Um, and I work hard in those ways and uh, what I do. But you know what? Today's different because we just got back from Nepal and uh, Vaughn and our hearts are, are full. And uh, while my heart is fresh upon the work of Nepal, I want to share with you what we learned uh, in Nepal. In fact, I'm going to give Yvonne a, a little bit of a chance to speak what she's learned as well. My message this morning is entitled Impressions from Nepal. Totally topical message, totally different than what I do, but I believe that this is what's going to encourage your hearts most. Um, you want to hear stories of people because they've, they've burned in our hearts and um, taught us some stories as well, taught us zeal and encouragement. This is my fifth trip to Nepal, and so as we go, um, I'm pretty familiar with the surrounding places, met even familiar with all these guys, my third time having been with them. Uh, and it's good to see the growth in what God is doing in their life. So I have a degree of familiarity that Yvonne doesn't have. It's her first trip. And so I wanted to give her an opportunity really to share her impressions with you, mostly about church and the things that she did with the ladies. So why don't you come on up, Yvonne. Jameson. That's how everybody greets one another. As they just come up and share and talk with each other, they all say Jameson. And it's a really neat thing. Um, just being out in the communities, um, Christians greet each other this way too. Just not in church, but anywhere. And it's a really neat thing. You can spot the Christians right away because they greet each other with Jamesie. Um So it's just a really neat thing that we don't have here. But so they, they just say it all the time. So it's almost become habit now, Jamesie. So, um, but I wanted to give you a glimpse of what it's like going to church in Nepal. Um, the the women are dressed in these outfits. Um, actually, they wear these pants that come out to here, and I didn't want to wear mine, but um, <laughs> this doesn't fit here. But they all wear... I tried to persuade her to do yeah, so, I, and she's I, not I, too submissive. I, I, <laughs> I couldn't do it. Maybe I'll wear it some other time. But, um, but anyway, um, they, they wear these, or they wear saris, like you think of Indian women wearing. Um, so the women are very colorful, and when they come into church, they... Um, they take off their shoes outside. So, oh, wait, I'll back up. Um, the, the churches are all very different. I got the opportunity to be in three different churches. This was the church in Bakunde, and so it's still under construction. They've only built the first floor, and they're waiting until they get money to build the, build the second floor. And so it's pretty rough. Um, and then the next picture is 
a church in Pokhara, and we were told this is the biggest church in Pokhara, and Pokhara, I think, is the second biggest city in Nepal. So this is a very big, established church, and um, so just a lot of people there. And then the next church is in Maguli, which is in the region of Chitwan, which is down in the south in a jungle area, and this is where the um, first love children's home, the first first love children's home is. Uh, so I got to go to these three churches. They're all different, but there are some common features. Uh, one thing is when you arrive, you take off your shoes. You don't go inside. So the next picture is shoes. Everywhere they have shoe racks outside. Uh, other Asian cultures do that too. Um, but so you come, you come in, and then inside, um, this is the, the big church in Pokhara. There's no seats, except for in the back. There's a few chairs for the elderly. Other than that, they sit on the floor. Okay, so imagine all these pews gone, and you sit on the floor cross-legged for the whole service. And they just think that's normal. In fact, when I was with the women teaching them, they often would get off of their chairs and sit on the floor. That's just what they're used to. Um, so they sit on the floor, and they all the churches, the women are on this side, and the men are on this side. That's just how they do it. Um, if you go to the next picture, um, that's the men. This is in Pokhara still. And then the next picture, this is in Bakunde. And actually in Bakunde, even though it's a smaller village, they're actually kind of more progressive because they have chairs. They have benches for the women. And then the next picture shows the men, and they actually have chairs. Um, So they're a little bit more ahead of the game. Um, And then, let's see, can you go to the next picture? Okay. they, it's very hot there, um, at least in this season, and the windows, they don't have any screens, and they open the windows to get fresh air because it's hot inside. And there, every, um, well, two of the churches I went, that we went to, um, there's children who come like this, and they just watch what's going on, sometimes for the whole service. They're just curious. They hear the singing. They want to know what's going on, so they just stand there and watch. Um, which is very different than here, but it's really encouraging just to see their curiosity. Um, you go to the next picture. Okay, um, this now is the women. Um, but let's see. Before I go to that, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the church services. Um, there, it's difficult because you know it's all in Nepali, so it's hard to understand what's going on. Um, but you can tell the joy that they have. They just, they love to be together. I think it's a refuge for them from the world that they live in. And they sing with such enthusiasm. Um, it's, it's hard not knowing the words. I wish they knew, I knew what they were singing about. But they sing with such joy. And, um, you know, they're, they're very joyful people. They're not, their lives are full of troubles and full of hardships, but they're really joyful people. And, um, something that struck me every time I was in these three churches was Psalm 67. It just kept going through my mind. And um, let me just read some of it. It says, well, let me read the whole thing. It's short. It says, God, be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known upon the earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. And 60, about 60 years ago, there were no 
Christians in Nepal. It was a corner of the earth where the gospel had not reached because the country was closed to anyone coming in and out. And I think about how it's this little corner of the earth, and it is a nation where now people are praising God, where people are glad and singing for joy, and they're fearing God. And um, about the only thing I could understand of their songs was hallelujah. They sang hallelujah a lot in their songs. And every time I was with them, I was just amazed that I was standing here in this remote corner of the world, and, and Psalm 67 was happening. These people, they were, they were praising God. They were, the nations, the nation of Nepal was being glad, and they were fearing God. And that didn't happen just 60 years ago. And um, I, that, that just really struck me every time I was singing hallelujah with them, singing praise to the Lord that, um, that the nations, that that nation is being glad. And you, you can see it so much more clearly than here because the people there are so depressed and so sad and so dark, and the Christians are so glad and joyful. Um, so that was a really encouraging thing about being in their church. Um, then, uh, with the women, I, these are the women that I got to spend the week with, and they're all pastor's wives, and there are uh, 13 of them. And you can see they're all dressed in their, this is called a kurta, they're dressed in their kurtas and their saris. Um, and it was just, it was a real privilege to get to know them. They are very humble women. They have no idea how courageous they are. They have no idea how, how strong their faith is. They're just, they're just living life because God has saved them and they want to, um, they want the gospel to spread. They want the people in their churches to grow. And um, life is so hard for them and they live it with such courage. And, you know, to you, these are just faces of people who look very different from us. But now I, I know these women and I know their stories. And I, um, for those of you who got the email updates and, took time to read these testimonies. Um, these, these are real women, and they lived those real lives that I felt like I was reading a book about, you know, these far-off people um, who, who you only read about in books, who you never meet. And that, but these are real women, and um, very, just very precious people. I, it was really a privilege to get to spend time with them. I was with them all day long for about four and a half days, and just very precious, precious women, and uh, I was very challenged by their lives and very encouraged by them, um, and, and they were so teachable, so open. Um, they, I think they were really refreshed by our time together, and it was just a, it was a blessing both ways. Um, now, uh, you've gone to the next one. Um, these were just, this was at the graduation for the um, training session that we were with. They had a graduation ceremony on the last night, and it was really neat because um, several of the couples came up to us and wanted to take pictures with us. And um, so I wrote in the testimonies about these two women. Um, Anuradha is in the black, and, and Shanti, or, um, Sarita is in the purple and the pink. Um, just neat stories with them. Um, next picture, um, she was my translator. So if you, if you read about the testimonies, she grew up in a um, Buddhist family in India and 
was captured and almost killed and then became a Christian because she was miraculously rescued and then was just unstoppable and wanting to share the gospel with everyone around her. Um, but it was really good because I could speak English with her. I got to know her best, probably. So she became a very special friend. Um, then this one, um, this couple, Steve's going to talk more about them, I think. They were just a joy. I think their marriage was really changed by our week together and um, just amazing stories of persecution that this couple went, has gone through. Um, and then the next one, um, this, this lady... Jeevan is her name. She it was really she couldn't speak English, but she just kept giving me hugs, and I don't I, I don't know. I wish she could have told me what was going on in her mind, but she seemed so appreciative for. She just liked her red hair, I think. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know, but she just kept giving me hugs. She was so sweet, and she seemed so uh, sad that she couldn't talk to me. But anyway, she was very special. She had six children, and um, very few women in Nepal have that many children, so she's quite. Uh, quite a hero. Um, okay, next picture. Oh, this doesn't work. Okay. All right. Um, the last thing I want to say is that um, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit for a reason. The, these people are so poor and so needy, but they have such a dependence on God and such a humility and such a joy that we don't have. And I must say that being there... Um, all the conveniences that we had to do without really just, um, they, it wasn't that difficult to, to be without all of our comforts because um, the, the joy of being with these Christians and encouraging them and learning from them made all the inconveniences pale. I mean, to the point where I thought, okay, I could I could. Stay here, you know, um, and yet, and I come back now and feel like I'm I'm just loving all the conveniences that we have, and I'm so thankful for them. And but there's a balance to find, you know. There's a there's a blessing that comes with having very little, and um, just temptations that come with having so much and trusting in our comforts that we have here. Um, but there's there's many things. This that that was going to be a video of the the roads and the traffic, I, I don't know how to explain what the driving's like. I guess you have to be there. Phil knows what I'm talking about. It's just unreal, um, the, the craziness of the driving there. It, so I've, I've come to appreciate our roads and our traffic and our laws, and um, it's just very different. Um, um, I've also come to appreciate the Christian resources we have in English and um, books and audio and electronic resources that they don't have. I, with the women, I kept wanting to point them to resources, and they, they can't make use of them. They can't get them. They can't read them. Um, I'm thankful for chairs and pews in our churches. Um, I'm thankful for the training that that's available to pastors and other leaders here um, it's, they just don't have that. I'm thankful for education, you know, just for everybody. It's not a given there at all. A lot of people are illiterate. Um, I'm thankful for cleanliness. There's garbage everywhere there. Things are grimy and dusty and dirty, and people can't take showers very easily, and they can't wash their clothes very easily, and it's just dirty there. It's, and I'm thankful for how clean it is here. Um, I'm 
I'm thankful that there's no cows in the road, there's no goats in the road, there's no dogs on the road, and that's all over the place there. We don't have to dodge cows as we're driving along, and they do. Um, People don't honk incessantly here, and they do there. People stay in their lanes here. I mean, when you're driving there, you are often head on with a vehicle until the very last minute. It's really crazy, and that doesn't happen here. you, we have electricity all the time. They have, their electricity goes on and off all the time. They never know when they're going to have electricity. Um, we, uh, the tap water is safe here. You don't dare drink the tap water there. Um, we have a lot of variety in our food. There they eat bread for breakfast generally, and then they have this dalbot stuff, rice and lentils, for lunch and dinner every single day. And they love it, but yeah, I got really tired of it. Um, we have we have grocery stores. They have to go to these little markets to buy their stuff, and they have very little available. Um, we have cars. That very few people have cars. They have, they have to walk everywhere or um, ride on their motorbikes. Um, we. It's amazing how many idols and shrines are everywhere there, and we don't have that. And it's it's very oppressive. It's very dark. Um, it's just, just there's so many things here that we take for granted, and it's, I, I'm very thankful for it, but I, I want to find a balance and not trust in those things, and there's a blessing to not having those things, so um, <laughs> I need to stop because Steve has a lot to share, but <laughs> um, anyway, it was a blessing to go, and thank you for praying for us. Um, it, um, God protected us and kept us safe and healthy, and uh, it was great to be able to send your greetings to these people and encourage them not only with our presence but with your prayers and your gifts. And so, okay, thankful good. to go. Thank you. So. Thank you. All right, I'm gonna go back here. So, that was Avon's oppression of Nepal. A lot of that I have dealt with um, before. So it's good to come. I'm just praying that she has reverse culture shock. She was on the way to church. She was like, whoa, whoa. Um, it's just different. And so we have so much to be thankful for here in the States. Um, and I'll, I'll get at some of that. So I'm, my title, Impressions from Nepal. I've got uh, six impressions. I hope I get through all of them. Um, I'm going to get through all of them today. I got to. So just bear with me. Here we go. Uh, the first is this. is In Nepal, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Matthew chapter 9. Why don't you turn there in your Bibles? For each of these, um, uh, each of these impressions, I want to just launch from a Bible verse, talk about it, and then illustrate it in the lives of some people. Um, in Matthew chapter nine, verses thirty-five and thirty-six, we see Jesus in the ministry of, of Christ, not focusing on the individuals, but more, focusing more on a on a general picture of the ministry of Jesus. It says in verse thirty-five. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And seeing the people, He felt compassion on them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And He said to His disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into His harvest. We see the ministry of Christ in verse 35. He's, he's teaching and preaching and healing. That's what He did. And in verse 36, we see Jesus evaluating the crowds, seeing the people 
and seeing how dis- distressed they were, seeing how lost they were, seeing how cast down they were, and comparing them. He said, these people are like sheep without a shepherd, just wandering about with nobody to guide them and nobody to help them. And I just say, this is Nepal. Uh, Nepal is filled with people uh, who are lost. It's a, it's a lost nation filled with wandering people, filled with hurting people, filled with uh, people without purpose in life. And the assessment that Jesus has of Israel is an accurate assessment of Nepal. There are sheep without a shepherd. But on top of that, really, they are, are ripe for harvest. When He said to His disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Jesus looked at the people in His day and said, boy, they are white for harvest. They are ready like corn in October, like soybeans in October, that we are ready to send our combines out into the field to harvest all of this corn. And of course, in our country, when it's harvest time, the farmers work like 18 hours a day trying to get all the corn in before the snow comes, before it's too hard. And um, we have enough combines, but really in Nepal, in many ways, they don't have enough combines. But they harvest as much as they can. Um, and in Nepal, the workers are few. Um, was talked to a, a one, one man, he talked about probably 95% of the pastors have no training at all in Nepal. Zero. Um, you all know far more about the Bible than many of the pastors in Nepal do. And these pastors, they're, they're workers, but on Saturday when they worship... In Nepal, they try to lead the people, try to do whatever they can. The, the workers are few. So let me just tell you uh, about how plentiful the harvest is. Mani and Anju. Maybe the next slide we can come up here. Uh, Von, this was Avon's translator. Uh, they both work for Campus Crusade for Christ on the campuses in Nepal, the college campuses where Mani had never really seen himself as a pastor, and yet because of this training, this TNT training in Nepal, he kind of gets some uh, a confidence in the Word, his burden for, his, for the church more than the college students. So 15 months ago, January 2011, he quit Campus Crusade and uh, moved to a small village in central Nepal that didn't have a church, about uh, 1,500 people in this village. And uh, there were a handful of people there who were Christians. And now 15 months later, the church has got 50 people in it, most of them new converts, because he's just sharing the Gospel and the harvest is plentiful. Um, you know, they're in a rented facility now, but they've already got some land and want to, want to grow, want to build a, a building there. The first church building in that village they want to build. Uh, let's go to the next one about Bibi Kusim. Uh, so short little guy. Um, maybe you'll see, uh, I, I'm not sure I'm in a picture with him, but he's about, if he, if he breaks 5-1, I would be shocked. He's just little, that's why I like going to Nepal. It makes me feel like, like gigantic. You'll see a few pictures in here about how, how monstrous I am. But, you never knew that, but I am, alright, compared to the world. Uh, he, he was sent to a new, uh, area about five, ten years ago. I'm not exactly sure. I'd tell you how much, how many years ago, but I don't know. Um, and when he went to this new area, there were a few believers, like a handful of believers, just kind of a core. Uh, within the first year, they had more than 70 people fielding their buildings. And now the church has more than 300 people, but they're not there, but they're all spread out through various branch churches is what they call them. 
And, um, you know, it's not like he came to this area with a big church planting plan. It's just that he went to this area, the harvest is plentiful, he's got all this seed coming into, into his barn, and he's just kind of pushing some off in this remote village because they're coming over there. So they just start over there, and they, they start over here, and then someone hears about us, and they start over there, and they start over there, and he's, you know, overseeing all of these churches. Uh, I'm not sure how many he's got he's overseeing, but uh, five or six he's overseeing. And, uh, you know, if you'd, if you'd meet Bibi Kusim, you'd be unimpressed. He's not like this big mover and shaker. He's just a small, humble, happy, thankful man. And God is just using people like him. People are just being saved and falling into his lap. He's just doing what he can do. It's just how it is in Nepal. It's a time of harvest is, is great, but there are few workers. Uh, the next slide here, this is Lazarus. Uh, Desiring God gave us a bunch of books, and so I passed out uh, 60 books. Uh, this Momentary Marriage by John Piper, and then Preaching the Cross. I uh, went to Desiring God Conference, and they have international outreach. If you say you're going any place, they'll give you a big box of books and just pass it out. Now, many of these pastors do read some English. Um, some of them don't. Probably about 30% of them don't. I just said, just pass this book on to someone who can help. But he's holding this book here. Uh, it's momentary marriage, but he's a key guy in Nepal. He actually is a third-generation preacher, which is astonishing. His grandfather was one of the first Christians in Nepal, and uh, his father, his name is N.D. Um, he was persecuted for his faith in the early years and really instilled a lot into Lazarus. Lazarus, their translator, a great English teacher, a great English um, able to deal with English, able to deal with Nepali a lot. He's got a training center. He's got opportunities galore. Pray for this man especially. In fact, Devon even said, maybe we should go to Nepal and just help this guy. He's a humble guy. The church in Nepal, in, in Kathmandu, but doing great things. Sold out to leadership resources and the whole methodology there. Just doing a, doing a great work. He's written three books now um, in Nepali. Just a couple came out just this past Saturday. Um, just doing a lot. But anyway, he was telling us just kind of offhand about what happens in villages. you got villages and they, they don't have any idea about sanitations. And so you kind of just come in and just teach them about what a toilet is and how to use a toilet and uh, help them with that. Or you teach them they're not literate, not English. We're talking about Nepali literate. So you go in and do literacy classes, maybe for those who don't read. And then, of course, you use the Bible as your textbook. And, uh, of course, then you come to respect the teacher. And, of course, the people just always come to Christ. It's kind of what he said, just kind of matter-of-factly. And, and then he was telling us about how many people there are that come to Christ who's literacy training, but they don't have any trained people to help shepherd them. And just the harvest just, just comes in. There's a big need for training and a big need to encourage the leaders in this place. Which leads me to my next impression. Not only is the harvest plentiful, but the laborers are few. We need to pray for laborers in the harvest. But also, secondly, the Christians in Nepal are eager for training. They're just eager. They don't have it, so they're so eager for it. So, 1 Peter chapter 2. How about you turn there in your Bibles? 1 Peter chapter 2. This verse is just speak about the hunger for God's Word that all of us should have. 1 Peter 2, 1-3. through three, Therefore, putting aside all malice, and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the Word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Now we have enough small children here at Rock Valley Bible Church. Mothers, you know what it's about to have your child long for the pure milk of the Word. Um, newborn baby, 
thinks about nothing else except what's going to fill his or her tummy next and will cry and cry and cry and cry and cry until the hunger is satisfied. And this is how believers in Christ ought to be. We ought to put aside our sin. Verse 1, we ought to long for the pure milk of the Word so that we might grow in respect to salvation. And it's not a burdensome command in, in any sense. It's a natural command. It's only natural to want to grow. Kids, I know all of you want to grow up, right? Ethan, you want to grow up? Be as tall and strong as your dad? Yes, you do. I know you do. Conrad, I know you do, right? You want to be able to hit the ball, throw the ball farther and faster than your dad can, right? And all of you, you children, girls, you want to be a mommy, right? You want to be a mommy, Emma? Eva, you want to be a mommy? Yes, I know you want to be a mommy. That's why you love dolls. You want to grow up. It's only natural. And Christians want to grow up as well because... Because we long to be more like God. We long to know Him more. And also, even as verse 3 says, because we know His grace. Because we know His grace, we want to taste more of His grace. If you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. It's really what we see in the Nepali church. There is great eagerness for training there. Uh, let's go back to the next slide. This is Bibi Kusim and his wife now, Prima. Um, when Bibi Kusim came back from training, first, second time, I'm not sure exactly when it was, but what he did is he gathered all these church leaders from his five or six churches or whatever he was overseeing and, and other people in his church. And he started to pass on this training. And, um, and when Prima realized what was happening and the training that all the men were receiving, she insisted that at least she be involved as well. And so she kind of pushed herself into the training, even though it's involved for preachers. It also helps people in the pew as well to understand how just how to read the Bible is what this training is. And the next slide, Raju and Rhoda as well. Uh, Rhoda's task was to prepare all the food for all the pastors who were coming in. And she was fine and content with that to support her husband on that. But then when she started hearing her husband talking about what they're doing, they're talking about taking a passage of Scripture and saying, okay, what's the big idea of this passage? And what, how does this idea, how does this text fit into the context of where it fits? And she starts hearing this and she starts saying, hey, I, I want to be involved in that. Um, now, we don't know the rest of the story, whether she actually did be involved in that, whether she had to glean from her husband later, but the point is clear. They have this eagerness for for training because they are so young. Um, do They are a young church. Before 1950, no believers were in Nepal. Um, and then from 1960, 1960, I think there were maybe 100, maybe 50, something like that. And so from 1960 to 1990, it was a time of intense persecution and the church grew pretty slowly. But something happened in 1990, I'm not sure, but it really has exploded since then. And so basically you have a first generation church. You have a church where people are uh, have no examples of how to live. They're just Christians. They're very untrained and they are very eager to get this training. And um, during our first week of training, it worked like this. Uh, the 14 men and their wives, which you saw, were planning to come to Pokhara. However, due to the political instability of the nation, which, by the way, is much better than it was six years ago, Phil, when we went together, um, it's much, much better now. Um, but there still is this political upheavals. And um, training starts on Sunday and this group announced, I'm not sure, maybe Thursday, maybe Wednesday, that there's going to be a bunda on uh, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. And Abunda means, basically, we're trying to get our political point across. as a strike. You can't travel any place in the nation. And that's not really true. You can travel in the big cities, but you don't want to travel on the, uh, on the country region because then they'll stop you 
um, do bad things to your car, (laughs) like burn it if you're caught and those kind of things. So they didn't know about travel or public transportation or so, so they just needed to travel early. But the problem is, so they travel on Saturday, but Saturday is their church day. It's the Hindu holiday Saturday, and so they worship on, on Saturday. And so many of these guys had church services on Saturday, many had afternoon responsibilities on Saturday, and so they jumped on a bus six o'clock at night with their wife and and rode all night long, 10, 12, 15 hours on the bus in order to get to training. Now, when you think bus, think, think bus, okay? Now, there's a reason why the, the, the guys are on the top of the bus is because there's no room in the bus. And um, they, they travel like this. And I asked them how much it cost. How much did it cost to travel? And, and it basically cost... Um, a uh, hundred rupees per hour of travel. So it's like a, a dollar forty for an hour of travel. Okay, so for instance, these guys travel ten hours. It costs them maybe fourteen dollars to travel for ten hours on a bus ride. Okay. Now, knowing the quality of their bus ride, I think they vastly overpaid for the quality of what they're getting. You and I would last about 15 minutes on the bumpy ride like this and squish next together with stinky people who haven't showered for five days. Uh, actually, they've never showered in their life. Not many of them have never uh, experienced a warm shower. So they just do what they can do. And, and so they went through the night so as they get training. But every single husband and wife made it to training on time because they're so committed to this. Except for two wives who couldn't come because they're sy- systemically sick, maybe. Sick often. Several days a week. Uh, just some problems. Um, but this is so much different than America. America, if there was something like that, there's some country, they just, we just skip it. It's not worth the inconvenience, but for them it's worth the inconvenience of 15 hours all the way through the night to get to the training because they're so eager. Uh, but nobody has a deeper commitment than these two guys, Cooperman and Tom Ryan. Look at how big I am. <laughs> these, are, these are mountain men. They live way up in the mountains, and for them to get to the training, it requires a two-day walk and then a two-day bus ride. Think about that. It takes me less time to travel from America to Pokhara or Dharan than it takes for them to get in the remote village in Pakunde. I'm sorry, in remote village in Nepal to get down to the training. It's so mountainous. And, and I told you a story last time I came back about the guy who, who actually walked those days for the training. He, I had him tell Yvonne, and it's a deathly hot hard walk, but these guys, they're small for a reason. They are tough, tough men. They make me look like a wimp is really what they do. They can walk the mountains in ways that I can't. But anyway, he told me, Tom Rye did, on the right-hand side, he's sharing a testimony. He said, you know what, I almost didn't come to training this time because I have so many responsibilities. He's overseeing all these churches and all these people, and I have so much crashing down on me, but I find this time always rich, and I know it's worth it, and so I'm eager to come, and so I did. And it was the end of the training, and he said... I'm so glad I came. And in fact, what's happening in his village is he passes on his training to the next generation. Um, it's, it's causing such a stir. People are hearing about this TNT training, this TNT training that they have, and people are preaching better, and uh, churches are growing, and people are excited about this TNT training that, that other people are saying, hey, we need this TNT training. We want this TNT training. And he said, they don't even know what this TNT training is. They just hear that it's going, but they're, they're so eager that they say, we want it, we want it. And so even though uh, he's graduating from this... Um, four-year kind of uh, week course, this eight-session eight course. 
um, he's probably going to pass us on, start another, start another training thing. Just all an exposition of the Bible. It's really encouraging. Um, but that's how eager they are, and I think it flows from the fact they are newborn babes, verse 2. And I think it flows from the grace of God, their salvation. They want to know more of His grace. And really, I tell their story, just say, are you eager for training too? Or are you so saturated in America that you're not? Do you focus on your, your TV and your entertainment more than you focus on God's Word? These guys have nothing. And so they just focus on God's Word. Well, there's my second impression. Not going to third. We've seen harvest is plentiful. Labors are few. They're eager for training. Uh, thirdly, just struck by the, the transformation from darkness to light that's taken place in so many of these believers. Matthew chapter 4. Let's turn there. This is uh, quoting an Old Testament prophecy from Isaiah chapter 9, talking about how the light of the world that Jesus came and brought. He Himself called Himself the light of the world. He who follows Me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Nepal is a dark place. Avon mentions there are idols, there are demons and superstition all around. On top of that, there's wickedness and immorality and injustice all around. There's poverty and despair. Um, yeah, if you knew some of the stories of some of the children in the children's home, it is amazing how dark, how dark their lives were. And yet, Christians bring light and hope to many. As Jesus came into Israel, it said, the people that were sitting in darkness saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the land and the shadow of death, upon them light has dawned. And obviously, it's talking about the coming of Jesus. Before the days of Jesus, Israel was in darkness. They, uh, they were walking in darkness. They didn't, they didn't know what was right and what was wrong, even though they had the Word of God. Think about what a country is like when it doesn't have the Word of God. When it's been founded upon Hindu animistic principles or Buddhistic principles, and uh, they were walking in darkness, and this Christ even came. King Jesus stepped on the scene. He changed everything and brought hope into the world, such as happened in Nepal for a thousand years. Just darkness, 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 darkness. They were in a cave with pitch black. They couldn't see their hands in front of their face. They had no gospel light until 60 years ago. The message of Christ was nowhere to be heard. You couldn't find a church anywhere. Even first churches are cropping up in villages all over the place. But slowly and surely the light has come and now Jesus is shining in Nepal and He is changing lives in Nepal. Uh, I think, for instance, take the next slide. Simone and Shanti. Uh, this is a, a great story. Their marriage was an arranged marriage. Um, about half of the husbands and wives had arranged marriages that were there. And um, Simone, Simon, didn't want to marry Shanti. He's kind of protested against it. I'm not sure what, what cultural family pressures came upon him, but he finally succumbed and he did. So he got married, married and in protest, he didn't talk to his wife for a year. I mean, that, that was the anger, the, the animosity... Nothing for a year. And then he did for a little bit, and then he didn't for another extended period of time. You think about how good their marriage was. And then the light shined in. And I don't know who was converted first. I think he was converted first, maybe. She was. Same time, they both converted, and uh, things got better between them. Um, but still, um, he was an influential church leader, and still not real good. In fact, we found out this week that the marriages there were not, not real good. 
even the church leaders not real good. So it was very timely that we talked on marriage, we talked on parenting. Um, but anyway, as TNT trains come along, uh, the training has stirred him so deeply that even she talked about how, how disciplined he was and how deep into the Word of God he's going and that he actually now talks to her before he's going to preach a sermon what he's going to preach on. Now that is radical in Nepal. Yes, Avon? That's hugely radical that they can communicate and the light is shown in their lives. But I'm just saying the marriages there are so bad we need to pray for more light to come. The Gospel has saved them. Yes, but there's so many generations of difficulties and hardships that they're, they just don't know what a marriage should look like. Like, like for instance, let's take uh, Mukti and Mani. Manu. Mukti and Manu. Um, he is, I heard about him, boy, was it probably eight, nine or ten years ago, I heard about Mukti. Mukti lives in Pokhara. He's an influential Christian leader there in Pokhara. And um, he, I remember hearing the story about him walking up the mountains and uh, seeing these cave dwellers, people who lived in the caves. And as he would go up to them and kind of see them in a distance, they'd scurry off and hide from him. Uh, just kind of the, the bashful people these were. And finally, he caught up to them. Some of them shared the gospel. They believed and um, kind of bigger, more believed. And then he, start, he, he installed toilets. He got some toilets, some probably like outhouses. Until then, they had no outhouses, no toilets. So began to put in some infrastructure up there, uh, build, teaching them a little bit about houses and so they don't live in the caves any longer. Kind of helped them with that. I'm not sure if literacy came along with that. Helped build a church building for them. And I don't know how far away they are, maybe three hours away, four hours away, something like that, up the mountains. And in fact, that Mukti, the story is told about him, is that one time he's traveling up the mountains and a water buffalo is chasing him. And so this is like, like terraced land. So like, think about like from here to here and then from there to there. I mean, it's just, it's just terraced like this. He's running away from water buffalo and kind of jumped down the terrace and broke his leg. And uh, my dad heard about it. He was an orthopedic surgeon. He said, oh, Nepal's not a good place to break your leg in. Uh, but he had this... 20 screws in his plate and he's, he's doing fine now. He's walking up and down the mountains. But anyway, he's going out. We're really super encouraged by the story. And uh, then, then we hear his wife's perspective of it. And we're like not so encouraged because her perspective of it was that he's just always out. He's just always out. He's never here. And she got so fed up with him eventually that he just, he'd go out. She'd come back home. She wouldn't even ask him, oh, how was your day? How were your weeks that you were gone ministering the gospel, neglecting us at home. Didn't even ask. So just did that. She started TNT training and didn't even ask how was TNT training. Didn't even ask. Um, and so, but what happened? Alan Jin is a is a great man. What happened with Alan, who's doing this training, is he was out giving the husbands. So in other words, every time he had training, he would oftentimes have just something little. It says, okay, give this to your wives. Or here's a note card. I want you to write a little note right now to your wives that you can give to your wives. And that has made more of an impact than anything else of this TNT. In fact, Avon asked the question of all the ladies incognito for leadership resources to say, how has TNT training helped your husbands? Or how has it helped your church? How's it? And, and every single one of them right across the board um, said, it has helped our marriage improve greatly. And I think some of that's the power of the Word, but some of that's the power of Alan Jin is giving little things to these guys to have it give to their... And finally, they're starting to give and serve and help their wives. It's been a, an amazing, helpful, helpful thing. Um, in fact, so much so... Show the next, show the next slide. Now, to you, that, that looks like normal, right? Husbands, if you're there, you can kind of 
kind of grab your wives and just kind of, you know, hug her. You can do that. Um, this never happens in Nepal. Right, Carol? Never happened in Nepal. Carol spent how much, how much time there? Six months in Nepal. Men and women just don't touch each other. Husbands and wives don't touch each other. This is the smile on his face, the marriage. This is radical. What are you going to say? Oh, yeah, yeah. The wedding. Oh, yeah, Yvonne, Yvonne said she went to this Nepali wedding and the bride had the, the veil over her face kind of the whole time, went to take the vows and, the, hus- and the, the, the pastor pronounced the man and wife and so the veil lifted up and no kiss. And they just kind of turned around and did they even hold hands walking back down the aisle? They did hold hands down the aisle. But, but this, is, this, is real, this is a huge step to see a smile on their face and to see a snuggle. So, next, next slide. And this is very radical too. In fact, um, we did some marriage talks and uh, a story about Lakshmi here. Um, she said, I was just longing for a night away with my husband and how good God was to give us five at this retreat. There are some of the marriages of these ministry people. This is the first time they're away in the 25 years of their marriage. They just don't do that. They don't have the resources to do that, but they don't think about that. But there's no concept about cultivating a relationship between them. And so on the, on the last day we were there, we're done with the training. They had a, a free afternoon before the, um, before the final graduation. And Ivana are sitting kind of this outside gazebo. And Suklal and Lakshmi are walking down the street and she caught Yvonne's eye and kind of smirked and smiled. They're walking hand in hand down the street. <laughs> it's like... But I just say, pray for the marriages over there. Pray for... Le- I mean, we're just... Uh, I'm not naive enough to think that just one marriage talk helped. So immensely it's going to change their lives, but it did help a little bit. And um, so pray for more light. And, and here's, the, here's the issue is that we in America have the fundamental belief that all men are created equal. We don't live that out. There's racism. There are culture, race problems here in the United States. But, you know, 9 out of 10 people are going to tell you, yes, all men are created equal, men and women. Now, in the Hindu culture, that's not the case. It's, uh, you've got different caste systems. So you've got the Brahmins on the top, and you've got the Taru people on the bottom, and you've got all these different people in between, and who's, who's better? So you have people who are inherently, because of their birth, better than other people. Um, and you have men who are better than women. So when women get married, basically they say their husband is a god. And husbands love that, to have someone serve them and they take full advantage of that. So wife labors away, husband goes, provides for them, comes back home, she cooks the meal, he eats what he wants and then gives the rest to uh, the wife and children who have to deal with the scraps. And so what's happened is that in Christian marriages, uh, a lot of that, that's the only model they have of marriage. This is a first-generation church, no Christian models of marriage, a culture that's speaking against them, and it carries over into their lives. So pray for more light. Like even Lazarus was telling me that American media has done much good for marriages. Does that sound strange? (laughs) How can that be? American media has done much for marriages because we have so much equality and even in the marriage at least you have husband and women standing together equal now it's done much good in that regard it's done much harm in terms of immorality um, uh, Lazarus was just abortions are free in Nepal a billboard is all over pregnant get abortion just fine because of our beloved president first day of his presidency 
starts funding all this stuff and uh, prom- promotes immorality. American media is promoting immorality around. It's awful. But, but just know that there has been some help in marriages. Probably done more harm overall than, than good, but that's the perspective of it. All right, we've seen harvested plentiful labors are few. They're eager for training darkness to light, but they need more light. They need more examples. They need more uh, godly examples of what it, what it means uh, to live a Christian marriage. Also, zeal and evangelism. Romans chapter 10. Let's, let's turn there. Um, the religious situation in America is different than Nepal. <clears throat> churches all around here. Hundreds of churches here in Rockford this morning worshiping the Lord. Uh, many people in Rockford have been exposed to the Gospel. Now, many people don't know the Gospel, but at least if they want to learn something about God, at least they can step into a church and hear something about the Bible or hear something about God or, or find some remnant of something. Some places the Gospel is really clear. Some places it might be garbled. But at least they have a chance to, to hear about Jesus anyway in a church service. But over there, nothing. There's nothing. Um, as a result, those in Nepal have incredible zeal for evangelism. Let's look at here at Romans 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, but with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the Scripture says, whoever believes in Him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon Him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in Him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Verse 9 is the Gospel we preach. Right? You confess your mouth, Jesus Lord. Believe in your heart, God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. Believing in Christ, trusting in Christ. A simple message. It's what we believe, what we preach, what... Many believe, many preach here in America. You believe in Him, as verse 11 says, you won't be disappointed. However, the problem is, verse 14, how will they call upon Him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in Him whom they have not heard? And the difficulty in Nepal is that many have never heard of Jesus. I mean, not heard of His name at all. Um, And it's not because they haven't read. It's not because they're not uh, intelligent. Jesus is not... Around they can't they can't hear they never heard of the name of Jesus. Um, and I was greatly encouraged then by the zeal that then they have for evangelism because they say we got to get this message out. And so let's go back to Suklal and Laksmi. The next picture. This is a picture taken at lunch. I heard of Suklal some persecution he endured, and I I pulled him aside one time and I said, Hey Suklal, can we have lunch with you and your wife? I just want to hear the stories about persecution because I heard something about that. And so he told about a time when he went up into a village and uh, they started setting up their speakers and their microphone and they went door to door kind of saying, hey, we're going to have this performance. Why don't you come? And this happens, by the way, across all Nepal. We met some people who are working for YWAM. They're in Pokhara and they're going on treks and they had the Jesus film and they had a, a Nepali evangelist there and they would kind of set up shop and say, okay, tonight at 7 o'clock we're going to show the Jesus film if you want to come by. And unlike America, they come. Like the whole village comes. They're not doing anything else other than so they come. We do that in our neighborhood and say, hey, we're going to have a, a show here at 7 o'clock tonight. We may get one. We may get two. I'm not sure. But um, 
They, they come in Nepal, and so that's what they do. He does every Friday night. They have a youth outreach with uh, singing and dancing and drama, and then someone preaches the gospel. So they're up in this village, up from their town a ways. I'm not sure exactly how far it was, but they were, they were there, and uh, the Hindus heard about it and did not like it. They formed a mob. That's how Hindus operate. They formed this mob. And um, <clears throat> they came at them with sticks and were going to drive them out of their village. They didn't want it. And uh, uh, Suklal said that the Lord protected us. We just had a few bruises and hurt just a little bit. And they were throwing chairs trying to get us out. And I'm not sure if they wrecked his equipment. I can't quite remember. But they were driven out, couldn't preach the gospel there. What happened, though, then, is these village people said, uh-oh, we need to go to his city in order to like, get supplies. And so we... So we need to make peace with them. So they apologize for that. And then just the manner which Suklal and his friends uh, dealt with that uh, gave them good favor. And now they're friends with those in the village. In fact, they've even started a branch church there in that village of people who tried to persecute them. They faced other things uh, with the Maoists. In fact, even at one point, both of them were just tearing. We couldn't exactly quite understand the story. They're speaking so... Uh, quietly, and the horns were honking around here, and they were just weeping, though, of the difficulties they faced politically persecuted for being Christians. Uh, we got enough. I don't have time to tell the whole story, but just it's been hard. Uh, but God has blessed, and, and God has brought the Word, and so people have believed. Um, in fact, what's interesting here is that, that, that every pastor... With evangelism, every pastor is expected to be out there planting churches. Uh, it's not because they have a strategy, it's because of the big need. People start coming, they start coming from a longer way away, so they want to start a church there. Um, in fact, we go to the next slide. Here I am, a monster, here I am, Ubaraj and Anos. And I, I talked to Anos. Anos gave his testimony. He's been a pastor since 1990, 20 years. And um, he has his church has got about 90 people in it now, but they have 14 daughter churches he oversees. Just because in the years they have, they have pushed and pressed. You barrage to the guy I had breakfast with him. I wrote that in an email. And um, he asked me, so how many churches do you pastor? <laughs> I'm like, I, I may be big there, but I felt about that big when he asked me that question. I said one. And then I tried to describe him how things work in the United States, right? The one who puts on the best religious show is the most people. And um, so whoever you can attract him. But you always just have one church. You don't have many churches. I mean, in fact, there's so many churches. where I, Hundreds of churches where I live. Hundreds? Yeah, hundreds of churches where I am. And you just kind of couldn't fathom the American church. And then I, I was talking with both of them at breakfast. And I said, boy, you know, realize yourself blessed. Because God is working here. And, and you know how hard it is for us, you know, to get a convert to to love people and to share with them because people are skeptical here. They're self-sufficient. They don't need Christ. Right? So we go speak with people and you, you love them and you serve them, you help them and you try to show them Jesus and they're like, okay, that's good for you. It's not, I'm, I'm happy with my stuff that I got. I don't need Jesus. And, um, but in Nepal, you go out and speak with people and they come to faith in Christ. And I said, you are so blessed. And uh, Anos, and they both said, well, you know, things are changing. In Nepal, it used to be that way, and it still lots of people being saved, but it's a little bit different now. And, and basically, things have slowed down the last five years. I said, so what's what's made the difference? And uh, he said that Nepal has gone through a political transformation. No longer they Hindu kingdom. When they're a Hindu kingdom, and the Hindus said you must worship the Hindu gods, the Christians, the people were seeking freedom from that, and Christians were offering freedom from the tyranny of the 
the Hindu government, but now that it's democracy, they say there's more apathy and nobody really cares because they have freedom now. Maybe that's some of our problem in America. People have freedom, people have wealth, people have riches. Why don't you need God? But there, when you're poverty and you're being oppressed, you find Jesus is going to liberate you and set you free and you want that freedom. In fact, one man said, of just the fact of how things have changed, he said, we need more persecution in Nepal. We need more persecution. Because his heart isn't for a comfortable life. His, his heart is for the church to blossom and flourish. And so as things get persecuted, the church blossoms and flourishes and he'd more for the church than he is for his own comfort. And so that's what he, he desires. Um, fifth point, harvest is plentiful. They're eager for teaching. It went from darkness to light, zeal for evangelism, zeal for prayer. You know what, I'm just going to abbreviate this one, this point here. Just say these people are zealous to pray. Uh, they live in a state of desperation. I'd love to tell you stories. I had a video, but it doesn't work on here, about how they pray. When he says, okay, let's pray. You know, pastor the end of church service, and I'll do this. Hey, let's pray, and I'm just praying. But when a pastor there says, let's pray, everyone stands up and all prays at the same time. That's wonderful, right? You experienced that, Carol, surely? Yeah, it's wonderful. I just love it. In terms of everybody just shouting out and praying to God. i got a video of, of these people doing that. It's great. Um, they just pray in every circumstance. So, Yubraj, he took me for breakfast. He brought me to... Uh, in fact, let's go on. Next slide. Yeah, he brought, here's his church building. I sent that picture out. And uh, he brought me here. He told me the other place was where he wants to build a new church building. This one's 30 years old, kind of a mud place. It's not, not so good. The other place, he wants to try to build a church building there. He said, hey, pray for us here. And they took me to church. And next slide takes us into the church. Uh, I was the first white person in that church. It's really cool. 30 years old. I, I went where no tourist went. This is what makes it so fun to be in Nepal with church people is that you go off in the nooks and crannies and... Uh, Alan Jin and his buddy, Chinese-Americans, um, but I was the first white American to be in the church building. But he'd say, yeah, pray for us. Right here in the next picture, this is their home. Uh, two beds here. He says, this is our guest house when people are traveling, maybe a long distance to come to church and they need a place to stay. They stay right here in his house. And uh, this wasn't a real nice room, but it's where they have their fellowship. Right? It's where they have their small group. I think every Friday night, he said, pray for us here. So here was Yubaraj. He invited me to breakfast. And he invites me to three different places in his life and says, pray for me. When was the last time you did that? Bring people to your house and said, just pray for us. Here's our living room. This is where we have our Bible study. Just pray for us. Or take them someplace and say, hey, this is where our church meets. Come pray for us. It's because they're so desperate. They have nothing that they pray. Uh, my last point. I could elaborate more on the prayer, but that's all we're going to do. Um, Psalm 142 is what I want to look at, but we will not have time. But here's my last point. This one is... Short as well. Acts, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Acts chapter 20. We see Paul at the end of his, his address to the Ephesian elders. Comes to the end of his time with these men. He says in Acts 20 verse 33, he says, I've coveted no one's gold or silver or clothes. You yourselves know how these hands minister to my own needs. And to men who are with me in everything, I show that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. He himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And as we went to Nepal, we come back with that feeling. It's more blessed to give than to receive. They, we stand in a much better position than them because we're in a position of giving. 
and they're also ready to receive. They're so happy about that. Thank you for being generous. I've got a picture here of the the children in the baseball cap. I mean, the guy on the, the top left here, that's all of them. We're just so happy, so delighted that they got their their baseball caps. And then, they are, and then the next one, and the ladies with their washcloths, they were thankful for that. I know Virginia. Where are you, Virginia? I can't, can't see you. You're someplace. You um, made some bags for jewelry. Lots of you gave jewelry. Their hair scrunchies, right? We gave them to them and they had the hair scrunchies um, with them. It was very nice. We gave them books. And I just thank all of you who are sponsoring children. You're making a huge life in the children's lives. So we're at the children's home. And so you just uh, think about the kids there. Um, Siraj said, anyone want to give testimony? And so these kids came up, you know, and they're like 14 years old, and they tell testimonies. And we had three of them give testimonies. And you probably had some more in shit one. And here's their testimony, okay? 14-year-old. I remember growing up, and um, yeah, my mom died when I was five years old. Or my dad died when I was five years old, and so I was just with my mom, and she couldn't really take care of us. We were on the street for a while. And then mom married somebody else, but he never really liked me, and he beat me, and he made things hard for me and for my, my mom as well. And eventually then I was taken off to grandma and grandpa, and and they didn't treat me nice either. They yelled at me all the time, and they made me work. And But I came here to the children's home when I was eight years old, and I was so glad that they don't make me work here because I, I worked so hard when I was with them. And here I, I'm loved, I'm cared for. I just love this place. I'm so thankful for this place, what God has done for me. And, I, you know, just thank you. That was all their testimonies were just like that. And if you're supporting a child, you're changing a life of a child. And I know many of you here are supporting a child. I know that Bob Clinton is uh, now working on uh, a home in Siliguri, India, um, and raising up a home there. Most of these children in Siliguri are being saved from the brothels, being saved from a life of being objects of sexual gratification. If you want to change a life, support kids. I'm not sure, $60 a month. It's a little low. I think it's going to need a little bit more than that. But you can change the life of a child by supporting some of these kids. And so I think if anything, just say it's more blessed to give than to receive. Um, my father's helped a, a, a gal over there through college. And, and she just said, oh, thank, thank Grandpa for taking me through. I wish I could do something to pay him back. And, and this is the one who who got a dress just like Yvonne did. And one of the friends of Bob and Bobby bought these dresses for them. It was a $15 dress. And her dress is $15 and she's worried about how, how much it costs that someone else was going to pay for $15. That's just like too much. So if, if I knew it was going to be this much, I would have gotten maybe a less fancy style. And, and here she is just wanting to pay back my father who supported her through college. And there's no way she could pay back but just her expression of thanksgiving. She just, I'm so thankful because now I have an education and now I can help do something and now I can be something better. Um, and I just say, my dad is far more blessed than this girl ever will be because he's been able to give. And I just encourage you, you want to delight yourself, you give. Uh, the Bible, even what we said, our, our, our fighter verse memory this week, uh, comes down. I've not, we've not memorized it yet, but there's one is where your treasure is there, where your heart be also. If you say, "Boy, I want to have a treasure. I want to have heart for missions," and that's really, by the way, why I'm gone 
is because I want us as a church to have a heart for missions. I want me to have a heart for missions. I know if I have a heart for missions, then we will have a heart for missions. The best way to have a heart for missions is to put your treasure there. Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so I just encourage you to be givers. Right? Give to those who are, are needy. Give to others. Give your life. I want to show you this next picture. This guy here is a bad picture. Okay, This picture is from six years ago. Um, when uh, my dad and I visited Pokra, the church, Lama Church Church, and we're kind of in the back, and I take this picture of this guy. His name is Tim Frank, and um, I, I, he just spoke for a little bit. He just kind of stood up and kind of gave a little testimony. He was a man from Germany who came to Nepal, and uh, I spoke to him, and he spoke Nepali, and he sat right down there with the Nepali guys on the left-hand side of the church, and he was kind of right there with his Nepali Bible, and really, I don't know what group he was with, but discipling them and caring for them and loving them and serving them, and he and his wife and his three kids were over there, and so I just got this picture six years ago um, in March of 2006, and then this next time visiting uh, Pokhara, I went to Mukti's office and found this, Tim Frank. June 29th, 1971 to July 7th, 2006. That's like three months after I saw him. I have loved you with everlasting love, therefore I have drawn you with loving kindness, Jeremiah 31, 3. Totally unexpectedly, we have lost our beloved husband and dad. Following a severe motorcycle accident, he died on July 7th, 2006 in Kathmandu. We will miss him very much. Grieving deeply and still in shock, Judda Frank, his wife, with Joel, Lisa, and Sarah, with families and friends. Tim Frank gave his life serving people and helping people. And I don't know the whole story. This, this uh, poster was up, it's been up for six years, maybe just waiting for me to see that and uh, just capture a picture of that, of a guy who gave his life to the Lord. And I just encourage all of you, it's more blessed to give than to receive. I don't think Tim Frank regrets for a minute what took place in his life. Giving his life to the Nepalis and dying over there. Now, certainly his wife and his children, I don't know what's happened to them, but God will take care of them. I just encourage you to give your life in the service of God. You don't have to go and die someplace, Okay? But maybe you should give so that others can go and die. Maybe you should give to help others. Just, I long for us to be a church that's a giving church, a helping church, a serving church, because that is what Christ Jesus did. He, he came and He gave Himself for us. Right? Well, our heart is full, and I just hope and pray that our trip to Nepal stirs within us a continued heart for the the less fortunate and the people who need, need Christ in Nepal. The, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Let's do what we can to help those workers. Let's pray.